Douglas Farrow is a professor of theology and Christian thought at McGill University. And in an article in a recent edition of First Things magazine, he writes about St. Augustine's description of providence in his work, The City of God. And Farrow relates that Augustine teaches that although rational creatures often behave irrationally and indeed wickedly, God makes them with a view to their eternal felicity by way of a share in his divine felicity. He sets before them the path of life. When they turn from that path and wander into dark places, he sends messengers to tell them that they may, how they, that they may return to the path. He creates a covenant that beats the path back to the path. He comes in person to be the path, to be the way, the truth, and the life. In the story of the disciples on the way to Emmaus, we hear about two men who had followed Jesus in the days of his public ministry. They had gotten as far as recognizing Jesus of Nazareth as a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. They had placed their hopes in him as the one who would redeem Israel. But they probably had a mistaken idea of what form of that, that that redemption would take. Perhaps they were hoping for liberation from the yoke of Rome. But although Jesus had been crucified with two revolutionaries and one was released in his stead, Jesus was not a revolutionary. And now disbelieving even the account of the women who bore witness to a vision of angels declaring the resurrection, and of the apostles who saw the empty tomb, they're wandering away from Jerusalem, away from where the other apostles are gathered. They have gone off the path. But as Douglas Farrow relates in that article that I referred to, Jesus himself comes to them, and he mildly rebukes them as fools, slow of heart to believe, and he walks with them in their doubt, in their disbelief, explaining the scriptures to them so that they could see that all that had happened was foreseen in the providence of God. And Jesus wants all of us to remain on the path. He showed his love and his mercy to Cleopas and his companion by coming in person, even though they failed to or could not or were prevented from recognizing him. Jesus' mercy is further shown in the manner of his approach to these disciples. He finds them in their state of disbelief. He listens to them. He asks them to describe all that's going through their minds. And rather than reveal his identity, uh, you know, and say something like, don't you recognize me? It's, it's me, Jesus. I've risen from the dead. Rather than present him in a, himself in a way that would elicit, if you like, uh, an act, uh, um, a forced belief, rather than take this shortcut, he takes the time and the trouble to walk with them, to engage their intellects, to reveal to them the meaning of all the prophets. It was a gradual opening of their eyes, a responding to their questions, so they would be led imperceptibly 
to the fullness of the truth to which they would give an assent that was free and total and that was of love. It would be an assent that also would involve their reasons. It would be a rational assent. They would say, when Jesus had disappeared from their sight, were not our hearts burning within us while he spoke to us on the way and opened the scriptures to us? The heart, the symbol of love. His explanation of the scriptures was fulfilling their yearning, which was completed when he revealed himself in the breaking of the bread. And thanks to the patience with which Jesus taught them on that road, they would in turn be able to explain to others the meaning of the scriptures and their fulfillment in Christ. They would become effective evangelizers and catechists, as it were, to those who would come after and seek entry into the communion of the church. Rather, as our catechumens and candidates continue to be catechized so that they may participate in the breaking of the bread in which Jesus revealed himself to Cleopas and his companion in Emmaus. During the 40 days between his resurrection and ascension, Jesus would appear many times to his apostles and respond to their doubts and to equip them with the knowledge they would need to spread the gospel to all the nations. And the church in the liturgy today presents us with St. Peter. The Prince of the Apostles is filled with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and doing what Jesus did for Cleopas and his friend, explaining how all that they had witnessed, Jesus' mighty deeds and works and wonders and his death on the cross, was all in accordance with the set plan and foreknowledge of God, as Peter put it and that Jesus' resurrection was also a fulfillment of the prophecy of David. St. Peter speaks to us again in the second reading, in which he calls upon us to conduct ourselves with reverence during the time of your sojourning. In other words, to remain on the path, to persevere on the path that leads to life, to judge wisely, wisely the perishable things of this earth, and to set our hearts on what is imperishable, namely that which was won for us by the precious blood of Christ, the, un, the spotless, unblemished lamb. And the gospel also seems to indicate the significance of Jesus' appearance to Simon Peter as one of the first, if not the first, uh, tradition, pious tradition uh, would hold that maybe our Lord appeared first to his mother uh, after rising from the dead. But we hear today, when those disciples return to Jerusalem, that the others tell them, yes, the Lord has truly risen and he has appeared to Simon. It's so important that the Lord had appeared to Simon Peter as one of the first to receive a visit from the risen Jesus. For Peter is the rock. He and his successors will continue to be the messengers whom God will send to recall us to the path, the way of truth that leads to life whenever we should stray from it. In this we, individually, or at, uh, are at times messengers, and maybe at times we're fools, as Jesus called those two on the road to Emmaus. Fools in need of correction. Fools in need of being brought back to the path. For all of us, our faith is on the one hand reasonable, 
but on the other hand, mysterious. We have to work at learning more about our faith, not expect it to be obvious. And this also when it comes to the sacred mysteries that we in the West call the Mass, in the East is called the Divine Liturgy. Time and effort is needed to penetrate these mysteries and allowing God to reveal them to us, entering into a contemplative spirit when we are there at the Mass, to, to therefore see beyond the actions and the words what is the deeper meaning of what is going on. Let our hearts burn within us as we prepare to, and many of you prepare to participate once again in the Holy Mass by directly attending the Mass, as we all recognize him in the breaking of the bread, and as we ask him to stay with us, and as we thank him for staying with us in the Blessed Sacrament, reserved in our churches, reserved in our churches for prayer.